If you do have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to look this evening together at verses 4 through 18. Kind of working our way through this Old Testament book that is not all that long, but it is deep with substance, and it reminds us along the way of God's goodness and His mercy in our lives and how He can be trusted. And I've been giving you a little bit of a review each week in the study, just so everybody knows where we are. Or maybe you've jumped in uh, along the way and might not remember all the details of the book of Ruth. Uh, If you'll remember, there was a man named Elimelech, whose name means God is my king. And his wife, Naomi, her name meant pleasant one. They lived in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. And they had two sons, Malan and Kilian. These were God-fearing people, and there was a famine in the land of Israel. So they made a decision that they were going to leave Israel, and they were going to go to where they could find something to eat and find a place that maybe was doing a little bit better during that time of famine. And they ended up in a place called Moab. Moab was a place where they could work and find food, and it was there in Moab that each of their sons married Moabite women by the name of Ruth and Orpah. They fell into hard times there, and there were trials and difficulties, of course. After all, they had gone to a pagan land. Uh, There was sorrow and suffering and death that occurred. Uh, Some time passed, and the father, Elimelech, of the family died. Some more time passed, and both of his sons, Malan and Kilian, died. So here was Naomi. She was left a widow, and along with her were her two daughters-in-law, who were widows as well. They made a decision once they heard that the circumstances back in Bethlehem had changed to leave Moab and to go back to Bethlehem. Ruth and Orpah were going to go with Naomi, and Naomi began to talk to them and try to talk them out of it. And as a result of her conversation with them, Orpah decides that she's going to stay in Moab while Ruth decides that she's going to commit to go with her mother-in-law back to the place of Bethlehem. Now, so far, we've considered what happens in the darkness of trouble. Uh, Trouble comes to us in life unexpectedly. We can't really plan for it because we don't know when it's coming. Uh, It calls for us to make choices. And in those moments when we find ourselves in trouble, we got to decide what we're going to do. Where are we going to go next? What are our steps going to be? What decisions are we going to make? And it's in that darkness that the darkness precedes the light of grace. And we know that there is hope to be found because of the goodness of God. Then we looked at what the return would look like and the marks of loyalty that Ruth exhibited in following her mother-in-law. Uh, A return begins from where you are, and we kind of track that spiritual parallel of them uh, considering the circumstances, uh, seeing it for what it was, where they were, counting the cost, and then going back to the place of blessing. You might remember the Alistair Begg quote that I shared, when God is at work, even hopelessness may be the doorway to fresh starts and to new opportunities. So sometimes even when it's the darkest and even when it seems like all hope has gone, when God is in the mix, there's always hope and it's sometimes in the darkest moment that the light of God is about to shine through. 
And then last, we focused on the providence of God in life, how God makes uh, preparations for us in his providence. As he makes those preparations, he's arranging plans ahead of time, and then he's overseeing the outcome in his providence, and he can be trusted. Now, the major theme of the book of Ruth is a theme of redemption. That theme of redemption arises from this kinsman redeemer who is Boaz, who we're coming to tonight, uh, one who delivers, rescues, or redeems. And we're going to begin to focus on him this evening, but not take it all the way through because it's really setting the scene for his role in Ruth's life and then in the line that would follow. When Naomi and Ruth arrived in Bethlehem, they were broke. And they were alone. They didn't have anything. They didn't know what they were going to do. But the word began to spread. There was interest because they had come back. And people wondered, I'm certain, what the circumstances had been that had brought them to that point. And now here Naomi has come back and she's got this unfamiliar lady with her who is none other than her daughter-in-law. Now it was a desperate situation in the ancient world. And the fact that one of them was also from a pagan land means that the circumstance was even worse. But God began to meet their need for food and for family through Boaz, this man who was a prosperous man. He was a man of noble character. He was a man who was successful. And the way that Boaz helps Ruth provides an example for us spiritually of how the Lord Jesus Christ rescues and redeems us and furthermore how we can find refuge in God no matter what the circumstances of life are. So I want to work through this uh, a couple of verses at a time uh, depending on the section and I want to start with this idea and that is that God finds those who are in need. God finds those who are in need. Now let's pick up reading in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 4. The Bible says, later when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Now, right off the bat here, we find what some would call a coincidence, when in reality it's not a coincidence at all. It's further evidence of the providence of God. And we see what happens when providence is at work in people's lives. Boaz arrives at the same time and the same place as Ruth. Some things that seem to be random chance in our lives that people might refer to as coincidence or a random chance or even luck, in reality are the events that are overseen by sovereign God And even though we can't see them clearly, and we might not understand how they've arrived at that point, God knows, and not only does God know, but God knew before they ever happened. 
Isaiah 46 and verse 9 through 11 says, I am God and there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey and from a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Isaiah 46 verse 9 to 11. So here is Boaz and he asks, whose young woman is this? He's asking a question that relates to who she is as an individual and also what family she has come from. Now, one of the points that I find interesting in this story as it unfolds is nowhere in the story up to this point have we gotten anything that is even remotely close to a physical description of Ruth. In fact, there is no description of her outward appearance. Rather, the Bible describes for us her character qualities instead of her outward appearance. And that's an important point because what we're coming to here is not a a grand love story or in a sense of uh, physical attraction or something that the world would value, Uh, although some of those things are going to come together. What is truly happening here is that God is highlighting for us the character qualities that are important in a person who trusts in Him. And that says to us also that our value before the Lord is what's in our hearts. People look at the outward appearance of other people and we measure them up and we count them valuable based on what we see. But yet God looks at the heart and he's concerned about our character. Now to be a gleaner, Ruth was entering into a difficult field of labor. Remember I told you that basically what gleaning was, that was when the harvest went through and they got the vast majority of everything that was being harvested, that there were things, there were leftovers in the field essentially that people who were poor or people who were in need could come through that field and glean or gather up what they needed from that. Uh, you can still see that in some places in the world today uh, where these types of harvest are still common and people who don't own the field or people who aren't gathering the harvest for commercial purposes, will come back through the field and get whatever they can find in order to sustain themselves and to maintain their needs. So here she was. She's a diligent worker. She's willing to do whatever it takes. And it was reported to Boaz that Ruth worked all morning, only taking a brief break. And Boaz is going to tell her to stay in his field where presumably she would stay safe and she would be able to drink from the jars that the young men had filled. Now let's pick back up reading in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, "Um, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. So Boaz addresses Ruth as my daughter. Uh, That's in reference to the fact that he was older. Uh, He was in a position of prominence. 
He was probably a lot closer to the age of Naomi. And when Boaz told Ruth to continue gleaning in the field, um, I think he was talking about a longer period of time because it wasn't like the harvest was done in a few minutes or a day or necessarily even a week. It would go on for several weeks, depending on what it was that they were harvesting. And she was invited to stay there and to continue on for a considerable amount of time. Now, remember I told you we've worked our way through this, that almost every little detail in the story of Ruth is significant. And we've got another one of those points here because twice Ruth's Moabite background is mentioned. You say, well, why does that matter? Well, she is, in effect, an immigrant in this circumstance. To some degree, she's a refugee. While Naomi was going home, she was going to a foreign land. And remember, Bethlehem was a tiny village where everybody knew everybody. And they would have known quickly, hey, she's not from around here. There would have been enough of a difference between the language and the background that it would have made it obvious that she was from another culture. And I note that because there's so much today in discussion about immigration and the law and how Christians should respond to it. And this is not a small matter. Uh, After all, the Bible does tell us in Romans chapter 13 that it's God who has constructed the framework for government and laws and order and society to have structure to it. And nothing in the Bible certainly contradicts the idea of a nation having immigration laws or implementing them or having order as it relates to those things. And certainly we're to obey laws unless those laws are calling on us to disobey God. And then God's law is the higher law is where the principle comes in. But the greater issue for us is that God cares for people and we should care for people as well as his family. And what that says to us is that we're called to be compassionate and merciful to people that we encounter regardless of where they've come from or what their backgrounds are or how we might value them or label them or any of the things that go along with that, we're to follow the principles of Scripture as Christians that while we see societal order and the law and immigration and all those things as being significant points that are important that should be honored, as believers, we have the responsibility to be a blessing to other people in whatever form we have the opportunity to do that. Remember back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 21, God said to them, you must not exploit a resident alien or oppress him since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. Did you know there's a lot of people in this country that absolutely take advantage of immigrants? They do what they can to pay them as little as possible, particularly if they come with questionable paperwork or there's other things that are problematic surrounding their arrival. There are many people that are eager to take advantage of them and to abuse them in that sense. And that happens all over the world, not just in our country. And that should not be the case with believers. Listen to what the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 33 and 34. When an alien resides with you in your land, you must not oppress him. You will regard the alien who resides with you as the native born among you. Now, that's pretty straightforward. You're to love him as yourself, 
And then here's what God says. For you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You know what God was saying to them? Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what I did for you in delivering you. Don't forget where your allegiance is to be. Don't forget how I loved you. And you ought to be loving the people around you in the same way that I have loved you. And then, of course, the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 and verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And then I was a stranger and you took me in. I'd say to you that love and compassion rules the day for all who follow God and how we treat other people. That ought to be what our heart is as we seek to honor God. God finds those who are in need. Then the second truth is that God favors those who are weak. He favors those who are weak. Let's pick back up reading in verse 10. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people uh, you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you've done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. Now you'll note here that Ruth twice mentions the word favor. The word favor essentially means grace or being shown unexpected kindness. Or to state it another way, receiving something that you didn't deserve. It's finding favor in the sense of gaining approval or acceptance or blessing. And there's a, a very close connection in the scripture between favor, grace, and mercy. The favor that people receive from God depends on his good pleasure and is often extended in response to righteous living or to prayer. So it's God doing what he wants to do, but it's also God looking at people and saying, this is a person who desires to honor me. This is a person who is trying to follow after the way of righteousness. And because they're trying to follow after a way of righteousness, I'm going to bless them and I'm going to show favor to them. Or they've prayed and they've asked God to show favor, to shower down his grace and his mercy in their lives. You remember Noah and Moses as well walked blamelessly. And the Bible says that they found favor with the Lord. Moses spoke of Joseph's prosperity as one who enjoyed God's favor. Gabriel told Mary that she found favor in the sight of God. You remember when the Christ child was born, the angels announced to the shepherds that God would send peace to men on whose favor rest, on whom favor rest. So in this instance, favor came through a man named Boaz. Now, it's important to note again who Boaz is. Boaz was a relative. The significance of that is going to come a little bit more clearly in chapter 3. As a relative of Naomi, he had the responsibility 
to care for the needy members of the family. Boaz evidently was a man of good standing, uh, so he had the resources to be able to meet the need and to care for the members of the family. Uh, Boaz was godly, and the reason that we know that is to refer to the Lord was a normal thing for him to do, evidently, in the way that he speaks. Even in the way that he talks to the people who were employed by him, there was no gap in Boaz's life between the sacred and the secular, between the spiritual and the things that he had to do in the world. It seems clear also that Boaz stayed in Bethlehem during the famine. That's another important little detail there because you remember Naomi and her family left and it got them in all sorts of trouble. Uh, But here was Boaz who evidently had stayed from what we know. And then Boaz was obedient to the Lord. How do we know that? Well, he's obeying the law of uh, permitting gleaning to take place in his field, which was something the Lord had said to do to meet the needs of people. Boaz was welcoming. Uh, Here he was being hospitable to an immigrant that he had no uh, really uh, absolute responsibility to do so other than if he was honoring the Lord. The Lord, And then Boaz was generous and he provided in giving protection to Ruth and sharing uh, what he had. So from Ruth's perspective, as far as she was concerned, the fact that Boaz even noticed her was grace that she didn't deserve. She was a foreigner. Uh, She was reminded that she didn't come from Bethlehem. She was an outsider. Why would a man like Boaz show concern for her? Well, the answer is found in those verses that we read in verse 11 and verse 12 in particular. Boaz heard of Ruth's kindness toward her mother-in-law, Naomi, and the whole village knew about what she had done. And then it outlines what Ruth had done. She's willing to leave her father and her mother. She was willing to leave her native land in order to follow Naomi back. Uh, She was willing to come to a people that she did not know. She was willing to commit to the Lord God of Israel. And note what it says here. Under whose wings she had come for refuge. This is interesting because Jewish tradition uh, in and of itself required personally blessing the Lord God of Israel. The idea of blessing God for his marvelous works is always the right response for us. Is that not a heart of gratitude that we're realizing that the blessings that we have, the favor that rests upon us, the the good things that we receive, they've not come from our hand, but rather they've come from the hands of God. In 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 10, David blessed the Lord before all of the assembly And the Bible says, blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you're exalted as head over all. You remember in Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple in 2 Chronicles 6 and verse 14, he said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth keeping your covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Now I want us to draw in just for a moment under this image of what we find here of Ruth 
hiding under the wings of God for refuge. Now, what is a refuge? Well, a refuge basically is a safe place. It's a place where we can find protection. So when the Bible refers to God as our refuge, it is an indication that God is our protection when we need protection from something. He is our protector. He is our refuge. And when we know God is our refuge, when the storm comes or the danger approaches or the darkness begins to fall, and we find that God is trustworthy and that God can be believed in and that God can be dependent on. What does that do? It builds our faith. It strengthens our resolve because we learn to trust God more fully and freely. And I'm certain that all of us in this room could think about examples in our lives, maybe even in very recent memory, where it seemed like the darkness was very real, the danger was very present, The hurts and the problems were almost overwhelming, and we remembered that God is our refuge. And when we remembered that God is our refuge and we found ourselves under the protective care of his wing and under his love for us, our faith was built up. And we were reminded that what we thought we couldn't get through, not only we get through it, but we thrived in it. And even though it was very difficult, we got through to the other side. And what happened when we got through to the other side was our faith was strengthened all the more. And life is kind of a series of events like that where God is bringing us along and he's growing us and he's strengthening our trust in him. Proverbs 18 and verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. Psalm 62, verse 7 and 8 says, My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people, and pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. I hope that that would be our response. Uh, Even tonight as we're looking at a story like Ruth, that it would cause us to trust God at all times. The the psalmist says, hey, people, trust in God at all times. Isn't that a good word for us? Is that not what we need to be saying to one another when we're going through the struggles of life? Is that not what we need to be saying to one another? Is, hey, people, trust in God. Yes, your problem is real. The pain and the hurts and the loss, the difficulties, the complications, none of them should be or can be minimized. But God can be trusted. And in it, God is your refuge. Now, you remember in contrast to this, where some of the leaders of Israel, certainly in the Old Testament, I'm mindful of Isaiah's time, when the scripture indicates that the leaders were looking for security in places other than God. How many times have we seen that? And the Lord rebuked them in Isaiah 28 and verse 15. He rebuked them for making a lie their refuge and a falsehood their hiding place. Don't make a lie your refuge and a falsehood your hiding place. Find your refuge in God. When we are weak, we are tempted to look for other things to be our refuge. 
but anything else besides God is a false refuge. God is our only refuge. That does not mean that he will never lead us into difficult situations, but it does mean that we can have confidence. Psalm 73 and verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know how how I might translate Psalm 73 and verse 26 where it says, My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let me give you a rougher translation of that. Hey, we're all going to die, but that does not change the fact that God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. We're all going to face hardship, but that doesn't change the fact that God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. There are going to be things that we can't explain, but that doesn't change that God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, I delight in my weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Ruth put her trust in the God of Israel, and he can be trusted. And that brings me to the next point. God feeds those who are hungry. He feeds those who are hungry. Let's pick back up in verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. Now, hospitality was very important in that culture. Um, And uh, if you recall, the backdrop once again to this story is the idea that she had come from Moab. It appears 11 times and only 85 verses are referenced to where she had come from. It indicates that her background was key to the whole story, as I've already noted tonight. But to go a little deeper with that, the Jews and the Moabites uh, were not on friendly terms. They had a long history of antagonism between each other. In the eyes of the Jews, the Moabites were nothing more than pagans from a mountainous region that was east of the Dead Sea. The Jewish men had fallen or we might say jumped into idolatry and immorality and as a result God had even sent a plague in Numbers chapter 25. In Deuteronomy 23 there's a warning, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may assemble in or enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. And God was clear that his people were not to mix with people from a pagan land. Don't live with them, don't marry them, don't follow their gods, don't bring them to worship. And that Boaz would welcome Ruth to his table is a phenomenal act of favor. Verse 15, when she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gain gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her or don't embarrass her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Uh, Don't rebuke her. Uh, So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening and uh, she beat out what she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Friends, this was grace, close up and personal in the provision that was made for Ruth. Boaz told his workers to 
I throw down handfuls of grain on purpose. This kind of makes you think about uh, having an Easter egg hunt with the little kids and and the bigger kids are running around, they're trying to find something, and, and they're getting an egg here and there, and the parents are going along, and, and when the big kids are looking away, they're dropping the eggs for the little kids to get so they can fill the basket up. That, that, that's kind of the provision that I get, have in mind here is Boaz, like, just put a little extra down where she can find that, where she will have an abundant uh, provision uh, to have more than she needs to carry home. And the Scripture says here that Ruth carried home uh, essentially an ephah of barley, which would have been maybe as much as 40 pounds. Uh, she also brought the leftover roasted grain from the table of Boaz, representing something that went above and beyond the grace that even could have been expected. And that brings me to the last thought tonight as I come toward a close of this message, and that is the spiritual famine precedes the harvest. The spiritual famine precedes the harvest. Now I want you to track with me here because we're going to draw a spiritual parallel as a way to apply this and illustrate it and, and even bring it to bear on our own lives. In sin, we are weak, we are needy, and we are hungry. But God, in His favor, shows grace and mercy to us. How would He do that? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus left heaven and took on human flesh. Jesus was the God-man with all of the resources of God at his disposal. Jesus was obedient. He lived in perfect union with God the Father and with his will. Jesus is welcoming in that he receives all who come to him by faith and take their refuge in him. It was through his death on the cross that we are provided protection from the wrath of God against sin. He is our only refuge. You can't take refuge in your good works. You can't take refuge in anything you could ever do or give or be. The only place that we can take refuge is in the Lord Jesus Christ because it's in Jesus that we find grace. It's in Jesus that orphans become children of God. It's in Jesus that people who don't have a family find a family. So what we're going to learn as we go a little deeper into this study in Ruth is that Jesus is the greater Boaz, in a sense. There's much symbolism here. Like Ruth, we had no claim on the Lord. We had no reason to hope. But in Him, we find the favor of God. And that's the only place that we can find redemption and reconciliation with God. So I hope that you'll go back even devotionally and, and read the story. Read it, read it as a narrative. Don't, don't just read it verse by verse, but read the whole story. And as you're reading that whole story, uh, would you see what God is doing to reveal himself and to provide for his people and to draw us into a faith relationship with him and to trust him? He can be trusted now and he can be trusted forever. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray.